Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to Acts chapter 12. And if you want to keep your Bibles open, we're going to be throughout the book of Acts, jumping from chapter to chapter. So if you just keep that open, that'd be awesome. If you're visiting Christ Church, my name is Mark. I have the privilege of being one of the ministers here, and we're glad you're with us in a series called Actors, where we're looking at, the, in the book of Acts, the history of the church and how it began after the resurrection of Jesus, who are some of the key actors in the story that God is telling from Genesis 15, or 3.15 on, about how he's going to build a kingdom through this one we call the Messiah, Jesus, and what he would do. And the stories that are being told are the stories of people's lives. And I want you to remember the core of this. In the people's lives that we're talking about, the power that's available to them in the Holy Spirit is the power available to you and I. Well, he was 30 or 22 years old when he failed in his first business. He was 23 when he ran for state legislature and lost. At 24, he failed in his second business venture. At 27, he had a nervous breakdown. At the age of 29, he uh, was defeated for Speaker of the House. Age 31, defeated for Elector. Age 34, defeated for Congress. Age 38, defeated for Congress a second time. At age 45, defeated for the Senate. At age 47, defeated for the Vice Presidency. At age 49, defeated for the Senate for the second time. At age 51, elected our 16th president. Abraham Lincoln was a failure. Quantifiably so. More failure than Victor. He was a failure. I can tell you stories of other men that have been very successful and women who have been very successful whose stories are littered with failure. Here's one. He was broke and a failure. He and a friend had pooled their resources together and started a men's clothing store in Kansas City. They struggled for well over a year trying to put their business on a paying basis. They never could make it. Then his partner bolted on him. There he was in his late 30s with an overwhelming debt of $20,000. In today's dollars, $300,000. Spurning bankruptcy because of his own personal convictions, he paid back his creditors every penny. It took a long time to do it, however. He was a United States senator when he did it. And he finally made his last official payment when he was president of the United States. His name? Harry Truman. Failure. Failure, quantifiably. A failure. As one of the greatest philosophers of the last 100 years, Snoopy once said, it doesn't make a difference whether you win or lose until you lose. So, today I want to talk to losers. I want to talk to failures. And if you're not a failure, if everything you set out to do has worked, if you have no regrets, if, if every choice you've made has been exactly who you were to be and how it was to be performed, thank you for coming. You're free to leave. <laughs> for the rest of you, I'll tell you when you can go home, and it'll be a long time. So if you get comfortable with or uncomfortable with the word failure, I'm sorry. Today I'm talking to only failures, from a failure to a group of failures. I'm not talking about mistakes I'm not talking about taking a left turn when you didn't know which way to go and you should have taken a right. I'm talking about the time you took the left turn and you knew you were to go to the right. Or the time you said what you knew you shouldn't say 
and it wounded somebody. Or the time you didn't say what you knew you should say and it wounded somebody. I'm talking about the choices we've made and the failure we've experienced. We're used to failure. You learn to walk by failing. You fell down. You pushed back up. Someone balanced you. You learned that with every step you took, you went off balance. And your second step, counter that balance. And you learned to walk by falling. You learned to talk by failing. You had to form words. It wasn't natural. You also learned to read by failure. You learned that these steps in life that happen to us sometimes are mistakes, but we learn from those mistakes. And if we don't learn from our mistakes, we remain failures. How many come with real pain and regret over failure today? How many deep down inside wish they could start over? Wish they could have a second chance? Would like to go back. I used to say when I was younger, if I could just have two minutes of my life in in 15 second segments to hit the redo button on, I would take it. Now at the age of 51, if I could have 30 minutes of reset moments, I would go back and take every one of them. Because of the damage I've done to others, the damage I've done to myself, a boy who struggled in school, tried hard, but he really struggled in school, came home and his six-week report card was failing in every topic. The, the mom saw the report card, knew he'd have to show his dad. So when the dad came home and sat down, the, the boy walked in with his report card and the mother stood beside her husband and put her hand on his shoulder to calm him and he read the report card. And realizing the boy was struggling but trying, he tried to come up with something positive and he said, well, son, we are proud of you. It's obvious you don't cheat. We're going to try to find some good in our failure. We're going to try to find some hope. Because I want you to know that the reason we gather, the world might think that the reason we gather here is we all think we're something. That the church gathers because they think they got it all figured out. We feel that we're better than other people, but they don't know what goes on this room, do they? This is a failure meeting. This is a group of people who wished their lives had gone different and need something beside themselves to overcome it. Can I have an amen? The world doesn't know that about the church. It's a shame because we ought to be the ones telling them. So what I'd like to do is take a story of an actor that may seem strange because he, if he's a character at all, he's got a cameo. He shows up as, you know, the, at the end of the movie when they show the, the characters and it might say, guy sitting at restaurant. That's this guy. I want to tell you the story of a young man named John Mark and how his seems incidental story has great impact for you and I. But I'd like to define John Mark's story with these three points. Number one, the gospel rightly understood is for failures who need a second chance. And the reason I've placed this, I know it's a long sentence, but I want you to understand the gospel when rightly understood is for failures who need a second chance. And that's why the church fills up every week throughout the world with broken people who have failed. And they're not just here because they failed. They're here because they know that without Christ, their failures remain. And with Christ, they're put away. In the city of Antioch, which we talked about last week, and you're going to see that Barnabas, who was the actor we studied last week, it also is deeply connected with John Mark. When they went to Antioch and they were first called Christians, Paul and Barnabas were sent by the churches to go into regions where churches were struggling and bring the money to help people survive that they had all things in common. They shared their money to bless people who needed to know that they were loved. And they went to Judea. Acts chapter 12, verse 25. Take a look at it with me. 
When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. Here's what we know about John Mark. He was the cousin of Barnabas, thus the connection. Barnabas' relationship with him, which we talked about last week, he had relationships with people inviting them in. So they were cousins. It says that John Mark was the son of Mary, which, of course, in the New Testament, everyone seems to be the son of Mary. There's nine of them. And yet we know that one of those was Mary, and that was her boy. It was suggested that when it talked about the 70 disciples that were with Jesus, scholars believe John Mark would have been one of those. It's also believed, and and I don't know how they say this, but it's, it's pretty current in church history, that the upper room where they had the Last Supper was probably John Mark's home or the home of his parents. So he knew Jesus, and he was in the group with Jesus. And then there's a story, one of my favorite stories, because I am still a junior high kid at heart, that in the garden when Jesus was arrested, one of the Roman soldiers grabbed one of the people in the crowd that day, and it said he ran out of his robe and ran through the garden in his underwear home. Yep, John Mark. So this is a little bit of who this man is. So Paul and Barnabas go on this journey, and they take John Mark with them. Now look with me at Acts 13, 13. In that chapter, it says, From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John Mark left them to return to Jerusalem. Now, Luke will go on to say, not only did he leave them, he abandoned them. So here's what we know. In the 13th chapter, they arrived in Seleucia, and then they sailed to Cyrus, where they met a magician named Elymas. Paul made him blind to show power. And to lead him to Christ, he, he stopped him from doing his dark magic. And in that moment, the crowd became upset and began to persecute and pursue Paul Barnabas and John Mark, and John Mark bolted. We don't know why he left, but Luke says he abandoned them. That's a strong word. He panicked and he took off. Was it for fear? There were real threats. Was it immaturity? He was a young man. Was it distracted reasoning? Maybe he thought that there would be more for him on this trip. Maybe he thought there would be more notoriety and power and display. We don't know. We can't, you can't judge the psychology of a dead man. But he left. And his leaving was a failure. He had the moment where he could have been involved in something God was doing, and instead, for whatever his interests were, he panicked and he bolted. So let me, I want to have a conversation with you all today. So let me ask, does this remind you of you? Because it reminds me of me. Am I the only one in the room who's had a moment where we knew what God wanted us to do and we chose not to? Have we ever had a moment where we could stand up for Christ and proclaim who he was and instead we chose not to? I think of not only were there moments that I knew what to do and I didn't do it, or I knew what I needed to say and I didn't say it, or I knew when I needed to shut up and I didn't, that I look back with great regret when I should have walked out of a room or walked into a room, whatever the choice was, I failed because I had my moment. I had an opportunity that was clearly God's design and I chose not to do it. And not only have I chosen not to do it, but I reckon so much with Peter who on a moment that Jesus was being tried and brutalized, Peter was asked three times if he was a follower of Jesus. The first two times he simply said no. The third time he acted like the world. He used obscene language to separate himself from Christ so they would think he's nothing like Jesus. John Mark's story is my story. Is it yours? Because if it is, I don't want you to sit here going, if he calls me a failure again, I'm leaving. Here's the issue I want you to understand. In my experience in ministry, there are more people who no longer have 
any relationship with the church. Not because they think God's mad at them, but they're so crushed by their own failure, they don't know what to do. They've tried so many times to give the church a run. They've tried so many times to be involved in this. They've started so many Bible studies and so many mornings where they thought they wanted to pray. And every time they failed, they failed, they failed because they've built their walk with Christ on their ability, not his. The whole purpose of the book of Acts is to show us that when the Holy Spirit leads us, we can do this. When the Holy Spirit is not allowed to lead us, we'll fail. And John Mark failed. You see, when I started, I wanted to do so many things for Christ. (laughs) Sometimes I just now don't want to ruin things because I'm used to failure, even when I do try my best. You see, Every player who swings a bat will miss. Every cook will misappropriate an ingredient or cook something too long or not long enough and it'll be ruined. Every singer or musician will hit a wrong note eventually in a moment that everybody hears it. Every parent will punish and then realize it was their mistake, not their child's. But some mistakes cost us more. Maybe we switch to price tags. Maybe we put value on something, and now we're at a moment in our life where we look and we say, there's no value in this. Even if I got everything I wanted out of it, I'm still alone, I'm still empty, I'm still desperate, and I'm still broken. And the world promises us that if we just switch to price tags, we'll find happiness. And I'm here to tell you that your failure reminds us of how empty this world is if there's not something greater to live for. This is why we call it the gospel of the second chance. When we understand the gospel rightly, we understand that there's failure and we all need a second chance. John Greenleaf Whittier wrote, the saddest words of tongue and pen are these four words, it might have been. It might have been, it could have been, it should have been. And for many of us, the guilt And it is stopping us from walking in the Spirit. It is stopping us from being open to the Word of God. It is stopping us from opening our lives up to that we desperately want. We all have the ability to want something within our grasp and refuse to reach. And I'm going to tell you today it's because of failure. It's because of sin. It's because of embarrassment. We've disappointed ourselves to our core. But whether you have failed, rebelled, or quit, The problem is you can't see the hope that Christ still offers you. And that's why people walk away from Jesus. It's not because he's not good enough. It's because they don't believe they are. Or it's just too much work to fail again and again. And some of us are sitting here today and you're thinking, preacher, you're singing my song. Yeah, I am. Because one of the beautiful things of the church every Sunday is a group of failures get together and figure out it's no longer about them. It's about Jesus. The second thing I want you to see is that when the gospel is rightly understood, it's offered by those who have received second chances. You see, it's not only a second chance for those who have failed, but the gospel when rightly received, the reason they know they have a second chance is because those of us who have had a second chance tell them. And this is how it works. That's been said before, you know, one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. It's the hope of the gospel. So five years later, five years later, Paul and Barnabas are ready to go back to the churches that they visited on that trip that John Mark bailed. Acts chapter 15, if you'll 
Go to your Bibles there, Acts chapter 15, verse 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, and Paul took Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. There are three actors in this story now. There's Paul. Paul has a fundamental question. And I want to be very, very careful today that we don't judge Paul. We all wish for Barnabas in our life, but Paul has a legitimate concern. Paul's question is, can we trust him? And what's the answer? No. It's not about our trustworthiness. But Paul says, can we trust him? He bailed on us when we needed him. He bolted for his own interest. So why would I take him on this trip? Because we're going back to the places we were persecuted. We're going back to the places they've tried to kill me. Why does it think it's going to be easier this time for him rather than harder? But Barnabas, who's not, remember it's not his name. He's the encourager. Barnabas says, I want to take him. Not because he's family, because he wants to go. I want to give him a chance to overcome his failure. I don't want him to live in this. And it says they have such a sharp disagreement that they go opposite directions. And we look at that and go, that's sad. That's disunity. Be careful. Don't don't be surprised when God can use your and my disagreements to do two kingdom things in the opposite directions. Paul and Barnabas both went on missionary duties. They visited churches. They encouraged people. They did the work of spreading the kingdom. They played their role in the story. And even though they no longer played it in tandem, they did not play it in opposition. They just went in different directions. Barnabas Barnabas was willing and Paul wasn't. And yet Barnabas invested in, in John Mark. Because the question is, he wasn't trustworthy. But Barnabas said, I'll take the risk. And so he did. You see, we don't know a whole lot about Barnabas before he's introduced in Acts chapter 4. But we know that he was somewhat of a wealthy man. He was very, very generous. And he encouraged people to walk with Christ. And he was doing the exact same things. His character came true. But John Mark wanted to go. And God gave him a second chance. And he gave him a second chance from someone who'd received a second chance. Paul knew about second chances. Peter knew about second chances. James and John knew about second chances. And now John Mark would know about it. So it brings me to my final point this morning. The gospel, when rightly understood, gives hope to failures. And it gives hope to those who have already received it. So whether you're a believer here this morning or an unbeliever, and you're wondering, why did I even come today? Because, well, it's air-conditioned. There's a start. And the second thing is, there's a reason God called you here. Because maybe you need to know that the second chance you think no one would ever give you, because, preacher, you have no idea what I've done. I don't have to, but I'll tell you this, God does. And he still sent his son to die for me and to die for you. And that that blood that he shed on that cross did not dry up. It still flows to anyone who will accept it. It gives hope. Ten years after John Mark bailed, an interesting thing happens. Peter... Peter writes to the churches in Asia, and I want you to see this full circle that's going on here. Peter, who, would you agree with me, had more than a second chance. He had multiple second chances. Peter is writing to the churches that Paul and Barnabas were visiting. 
So 10 years previous, they went on their first trip. Five years, three to five years later, they went on their second trip without John Mark. And then 10 years after all of that had gone by, Peter writes a letter to those churches. This is what he says. 1 Peter 5.13. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, and so does my son, Mark. Yep, it's him. He would become the one who would write the gospel of Mark. And guess whose stories he's telling? Peter's. So Peter was a man who knew the gospel of the second chance, and we talk about it often here, and I want to encourage you that when you get over trying to be important, then and only then can you become useful. And John Mark would learn that, that even through his failures, God could redeem it, restore it. Something changed in Paul, too. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9, Paul is at the end of his life, and he's writing this letter to a young uh, protege of his, Timothy, And he's encouraging them. And I want you to celebrate with me what we read at the end. He says, do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. It happened again. A young man bolts and leaves Paul unattended, abandons him. Cretans has gone to Galatia and Titus to Domitia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. He's helpful. The kid who wasn't, the failure, who had a dramatic public failure, is now helpful. Yeah, because when the gospel is rightly understood, it brings hope that God can redeem us even in the midst of our failures. Because Paul knew that the power of the gospel was not in our execution of it. It was in the faithfulness of God. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Faith in yourself? No. Faith in Jesus. Whatever became of this helpful young man? with such a list of failure. Well, he wrote the Gospel of Mark. Historians say he preached in Colossae, Ephesus, and Rome. Church historians also record that the churches of Ethiopia and Egypt were begun by John Mark after the death of Paul. So let's just talk today. Have you ever needed a second chance? Have you ever blown it after you got the second chance? Are your list of failures greater than your list of victories? I have a secret for you. God cares more about you than he does whatever you did. The reason I know that is because my Bible says while we were still enemies, Christ died for us. So it's never been about your performance. Although your performance says something, you don't earn God's love. You receive it and respond to it. You see, the hope of the second chance is not for you to hear me say today these words. Please listen. I'm not saying that the gospel of the second chance means that you have to do better. No. And the gospel of the second chance isn't so you can sit here saying, it doesn't matter then. If I'm saved by grace, I'll live however I want, and Jesus is contractually obligated to save me. It's not true. It's in the middle of those two positions that life lives. 
It's in knowing that he loved me in spite of my sin. And it's knowing that my sin is devastating me every day. That we move to this middle of receiving the grace of Jesus Christ and realizing we're not going to be better, but also realizing we don't have to live like we've lived, church. Are you with me? It's making choices about how this looks. Jesus paid the penalty for our failures. He overcame our tragedies. He lived perfectly in this world without a failure so that you and I, in the midst of our failures, can have hope. Do we deserve it? No. Can we earn it? Absolutely not. But can we receive it? Yes. What Carson did this morning in that window, in that baptistry, was confess that he failed, that he and God were at odds, and God offered him, if he would surrender to the might of God, that God would offer him his son in return. The perfect life of Jesus for the failed life of Carson. And in that moment, a transaction took place that none of us can totally understand, but is absolutely true. The blood of Jesus Christ was poured on that young man, and his failures are no more, never to be held against him. And in that truth, John Mark lives, Mark Christian lives, Carson Cornell lives, and any of us who accept Jesus Christ lives. Not in our perfection. Because here's the truth. I know teachers in this room who have failed God. I know parents in this room who have failed God. I know children in this room, preachers in this room, mechanics in this room. I know Christians in this room who have failed God. And I know non-Christians in this room who have failed God. But listen to me, you cannot have a victory if you will not battle. You can't have a crown unless you've had a cross. You can't have a resurrection until you've died. You can't have a rainbow until you've had a storm. You can't have a sunrise until you've had the darkness of a night. If you haven't seen your failure and own your failure, you're never going to overcome them. And you don't overcome them by just getting better. You overcome them by the blood of Jesus Christ. He is the solution to every empty part of your heart right now. You have to understand me today. The gospel of second chance isn't you screwed up really bad, you caught a break. No, your failures killed you. Jesus will bring you to life. And trying it any other way will leave you a dead man walking. You can't have an empty tomb until you've had your own Calvary. You can't be made new in Christ until you've buried the old man. John Mark's story says we don't have to be significant. We don't have to be famous. There, don't have, there doesn't have to be two or three books in the New Testament written about our lives. We can have a cameo appearance in the story of the kingdom and live forever. Is that good news or what? So it's not about, I hope we're like, like John Mark. We're all like John Mark. And look what a second chance did for him in being a part of God's story for eternity. So the fact is 2,000 years We're talking about this no-name guy who was there for a moment, received grace, and lives forever. And that's the hope today we have. For those of you that are believers, I beg you, return to the joy of your salvation. Celebrate with Jesus today that the third, fourth, and 97th chances you've received came from him because he loved you and loved him back. 
For those of you who have never received that, would love to have a conversation with you. I promise I will not put your arm behind your back. I want you to understand that I have been saved by the same grace that I'm allowed to offer you. And that in my failures, every day I'm reminded that when I try to live my life on my own, my heart breaks. When I choose to live my life by the Spirit's leading, He makes me alive. If you want to be alive, at the end of our services this morning or as soon as I walk off the stage, you can. When you go out in the lobby, take a left. There's a bunch of us that are going to meet you there. We'd love to explain to you that this grace is not just a preacher's emotion. It's biblical truth. So that nobody would leave here today who has not been blessed and has not received the grace of Jesus Christ on the cross. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.